step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. probably be three or four point oh but <laughs> something like that yeah but um yeah Leroy may be in the parking lot all right and he'll be up here shortly with all of his chaos and anarchy going on that he usually brings with him and tonight we're gonna bring you uh just some talk and stories about oral expeditions um tell the story I guess for the umpteenth time how it all began and uh a little little bit of highlights from each one of the years uh that we actually were on expeditions pretty much most of the year. That would have been from two thousand thirteen through two thousand fifteen and then there was not much going on in sixteen and then in seventeen was when we went to southeast Oregon for the solar eclipse. And as far as I'm concerned, you're going to be pretty tough to top that one. What do you think? Yeah, that's uh, 
I guess that's a milestone for the record business. <laughs> yeah, that's something I've always wanted to do because uh, I read a book quite a while back. Um, I think it was even before we were married, back in the 80s. And uh, it was a story that I believe Stephen King told, if I remember right. And it was about uh, the goings-on during a solar eclipse. Uh, and happened to be, uh, he told the story around an actual solar eclipse that happened where it went over Nova Scotia and over Maine up in the northeast, far northeast. And ever since I read that book, I've had a desire to, well, I, I did study about solar eclipses and eclipses in general. Uh, we have lunar eclipses also. Um, and it was something that I've always spent a lot of time uh, thinking about and I always wanted to experience it. And I knew there were people that traveled the world in order to see as many of them as they could in their lifetime. It's it's like a club that you could belong to and they all meet at every solar eclipse around the planet. Um, now, I don't know if I want to go to that extreme or not, but it was really cool to be able to go gold mining on a claim owned by Lost Dutchman Mining Association, and that claim just happened to be sitting right on the center line of what's called the path of totality. path of totality is, um, if I remember right, 70 miles across, and then the center line is 70 feet across. And from best we could calculate with the way it went on and the amount of time that we had the actual solar eclipse in sight, uh, almost three full minutes, we were about as close to the dead center line as you could be. And it was extraordinary. Uh, it was life-changing event. I mean, you look at you look at life a little bit different after you've witnessed a solar eclipse, a full, total solar eclipse. Yeah, it was really cool. They had, the one uh, person had their drone out there taking pictures of all of us sitting around watching. And <laughs> yeah, all of our mouth gaps open, looking up, looking up in the sky. Yeah. But and that was that was really cool in seventeen. But let's back up a little bit here. Um, it turns out that back in two thousand and eleven, I got the what would end up being my last truck driving job, and that was in eleven or ten. I guess I started in ten. Yeah. 2010, I guess it started. And it was a really cool job because it was a dream-type truck that I drove. Lots of chrome, lots of lights, big, powerful engine, um, lots of gears. You know, it was the kind of truck that I dreamed of driving for 28 years. And here it was, my very last job, and I got to drive for uh, a local company that and, and the boss was the kind of guy that he only believed in owning what you refer to as show trucks, um, decked out with pinstriping and, like I said, lots of extra lights, lots of chrome, um, lots of goodies inside, lots of extra stuff inside. And it just really made the perfect job to be what ended up being my last job in a 30-year career. Um <clears throat> And during about the same time, 
Matter of fact, I guess it was a couple couple years even before that. We'd have to look to be sure. Uh, what year did we join GPAA? Gold Prospectors Association of uh, America. A- April of uh, 2012. So we joined after I started work. Yeah. Trucking. Okay, I couldn't remember. So we got involved with uh, Gold Prospectors Association of America, and when they when you join, it's really cool. I, I highly advise it to anybody that wants to go looking for recreational gold or anything else like that. They have uh, when when you join, I believe it's about eighty five bucks a year if it hasn't changed, and you get a membership kit. In the membership kit, you get a guide what's called the mining guide and in the mining guide it shows three or four hundred places all over the country where they own either a lease or they have a contract with the private landowner uh, which would be the lease or out west it's better known as claims gold claims uh, we don't have BLM on the, in the eastern part of the country so the only actual gold claims that exist I believe are in Louisiana uh, that's east of the Mississippi. So on in the east, it's more of a uh, private property that they lease the rights to, to to let the club come in, different things like that. And I just happened to get started with these guys and got this membership kit, which also included a gold pan, a plastic, heavy-duty, Gold pan. Matter of fact, I still use it today. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say we still have it. <laughs> it's it, it it never wears out if you take good care of it. And so I had my gold pan. I had my directory to tell me where to go. And it just so happens that there's gold to be found coming out of the ground if you know right where to look. Anywhere between northwestern Maine and southeastern Alabama, or northeastern Alabama. There, there's a part of the Appalachian mountain chain that is made up of quartz. And when this quartz came out of the ground a million years ago, it brought gold and silver and all these other elements with it. And so instead of being mixed up with things like zinc and copper and all the different heavy metals out west, the gold that is in the east, most in certain places, is actually more pure than what you find out west. Matter of fact, Dahlonega, Georgia, supposedly has some of the purest gold known to the planet. Oh, angel wings. Yeah, I'd be able to catch that mute button. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they call them angel wings because they, they, they all look like little pairs of angel wings, little little pieces of gold. It's amazing, actually. And there's a story behind how those got that way. If you remind me a little bit, I'll tell it. But right now, we're getting into the beginnings of oil expeditions, which happened during my last trucking job. And Miss Paula, of course, was holding down the home front, keeping the home fires burning while I went trucking. And so we were able to do the Internet radio along with me trucking. Uh, matter of fact, we had a trucking show that was a three-hour show once a week. And we had a lot of fun with that show, as a matter of fact. And then I wonder if the host being muted is okay. I just thought of that. 
We did that way before, right? Yeah. Okay, just checking. You might want to check with your phone since I'm using mine. And anyhow, we're double-checking the audio here just to be sure everything's good. I don't think that helps because there's nothing hooked up to it. Well, we'll just unmute it because my phone's in the other room. And Oh, okay. Well, anyhow, uh, so I set off in the truck, and I put a big tub on the back. And in the big tub, I had my gold pan and a couple five-gallon buckets and a handmade, homemade uh, box strainer is what was you would call it. I took four pieces of two-by-four and nailed them together in, in the shape of a box and then put a piece of heavy-gauge uh, chicken wire on the bottom so I could sift through the gravel and stuff and be able to pan the finer stuff without worrying about the big rocks. And so I had that and a shovel, a long-handled shovel and a short-handled shovel. I had one of each, and I went trucking. And for about, I guess, six or eight months, every whenever I would go out, normally I would come home on the weekends. But after I got my gold box set on the back of the truck, I ended up being able to occasionally, occasionally. find out on a find out on <laughs> find out on a Friday that I was going to be in the neighborhood of one of these gold places, places where I could go and get gold. So I would make a beeline for there, spend the weekend, and ended up getting everything started as far as oral expeditions. Uh, we had a video series going that went, went along with uh, driving truck. It was called Chasing the Silver Eagle. Uh, I had a big old fancy burgundy Peterbilt, long nose, big old square nose, and had a silver eagle on the hood for a hood ornament. So I got to stare at an eagle's ass all, all day. And so everything went great uh, right up to February of 2013 when the federal government decided that I didn't need to drive a truck any longer. And that's another story all in itself, and maybe we'll save for another day. But it worked out perfect because it happened almost, or actually on the same day, I was able to get out of the truck, the trucking job, the same day to the day of the day that I stepped in one for the first time 30 years before. So can't beat it. And those 30 years, we figured it out a little over five and a half million miles and zero chargeable accidents, meaning I never caused an accident. Uh, was involved in a few, but never caused one where I got a ticket for causing the accident. So I decided to walk away with the perfect record and turn my thoughts and chores to full-time gold mining. Well, at that point, it was gold prospecting. There wasn't much mining to it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right. And uh, uh, the the weekends you were down south, you there got to be more and more of those while you were trucking. So uh, yeah. I, I guess when you retired, that uh, was the perfect excuse to go traveling. Right. So uh, that worked out perfect because I got a lot of gold. Well, some people might not think it's a lot of gold, but I thought it was in 2013. And February was the end of that, so me and my mining box and all my stuff out of the truck came home, planning again. And April 14th, 
2013, Oro Expeditions became 100% bona fide business because I packed up Little Bug, or which is short for Little Nugget Buggy, uh, the Dodge Nitro, and it was stuffed to the gills to the point where I was just barely enough room for me to get in the driver's seat. And I kissed Miss Paula goodbye, and I told her that I'd be back when I had enough gold to pay my trip to get back, however long that would take. And it took till just before her birthday in July. So from April to July, I spent in the southeast, mostly in uh, the far eastern reaches of Tennessee, right on the North Carolina border, a uh, little town of uh, Coker Creek, Tennessee, and lots of good gold there, lots of good gold. And um, met a lot of people, got to know uh, Bill at uh, the only gold shop anywhere around, and things really rocked because there was a lot of gold to be had in the little small streams around Coker Creek. Uh, the Telecay River is loaded with gold. They were dredging in the summertime before I made it down there, or in the summer before in 2012, and it turns out that by the time 13 rolled around in dredging season, that's when all the crap started with the uh, EPA and all that stuff, and they ended up banning dredging. So I missed out on that, but they did start it back up for a little while. At Towards the end, in September of 13, we were allowed to dredge uh, the small streams. We weren't allowed to dredge Teleco. So um, the first year turned out to be a lot of travel, uh, a lot of meeting a lot of great people, and finding out that there's a whole subculture out there of people that go camping with the sole reason of looking for gold. Uh, well, it's like any uh, group. Well, there, you could say there's a sub. Well, there is a subculture of truck drivers. Uh, there's you know any bunch of people where they're isolated amongst themselves form their own communities and. Gold miners are one of those, and I guess you could say some of the gold miners cross over with RVers. <laughs> yeah, RV or gold miner goes together hand in hand, and it was a matter of uh, me moving from one subculture to the other. You know, truck drivers, people that have never been around a group of truck drivers don't understand, um, there's no way to understand that culture unless you're actually in it, living in it. And gold mining culture, gold mining community is the same way. Um, it's, a, it's a fact that most people in that culture, in that community, are what we would refer to as recreational miners. But the way I looked at it, all the way back to 13, was mining is mining. There is no recreation. If you're mining, you're working. There's no, nothing recreating about it. So when we're prospecting, that's looking for gold. When we know where the gold is and we're busy getting it, that's called mining. So I never really distinguished one or the other. I always just said, I'm going gold mining, meaning I'm going to go find out where the gold is and get me some. Yes, and that's, it's a lot of hard work. You know, the, the TV shows 
uh, like gold fever kind of made it look easy, you know. You just stick your pan down there and get some dirt in your pan and swirl it around in the water, and there's the gold. And they don't tell you about the knees and the back and the shoulders. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. So I just take a little break here because everybody might be ready to take a break after me running off at the jaw this long. Uh, 20 minutes in already, hard to believe. But um, we're going to get into uh, some more in the second half here and get Leroy in here. I think he's got a song he wants to put on since it's for expedition night. Oh, please. But for now, uh, I think maybe we ought to hear a little bit of Black Irish Band. We'll be right back. Oh, 
four. some 2.0 reboot, whatever, however you want to say that, on KDCL Media, the pride of Internet Radio for Deep Creek Lake, Garrett County, Maryland, and the world. And I'm one of the hosts, Paul Cass, the other host sitting over here, Oro Cass. And, uh, Rolling smoke. Yeah. <laughs> what does them wrestlers say? We want the smoke. <laughs> Except I don't yeah, think that's what smoke. they mean. But uh, it was just uh, per- Oh my god, you just gave it away You're a wrestling fan <laughs> uh, We were just flipping same, channels same. one night <laughs> We were just flipping channels one night And that happened to be on one of the channels where Yeah, we right <laughs> Now you can tell everybody the truth uh, yeah, That's right, we're closet wrestling fans Well, I'm not closet But <laughs> she probably thinks she is no, no, my my favorite uh, wrestler retired to have a baby. <laughs> yes, she did. Or took a hiatus to have a baby. She was my favorite female. She was my favorite female other than Lacey. But, um, well, we'll do a wrestling show sometime <laughs> and talk about that. But with this uh, COVID-19 thing going on, there's really not a whole lot of news coming out of the mining world. Other than a lot of events being canceled and so on and so forth, but uh, I got two or three friends out west who took the PP. Not too good on nowhere. But just we don't have any news about that. Yeah, but uh, I guess since he's had more less time to go mining and more time to stay at home. um, uh, Shannon, I was going to say Sean, but he's named Shannon, isn't it, from Amara? Shannon Poe Poe, uh, has been having more time to uh, write on the blog post blog post blog post (laughs) yeah for uh, the American Mining Rights Association and he's keeping on top of things that are going on out west while everybody's stuck at home and uh, one of the interest, and this is interesting from the standpoint of when you think of out west, you think of uh, you know people out there doing their own thing and and uh, being more free spirited, and you know I mind my business, you mind your business, and you know everything will be fine, kind of attitude out there, but. Some of those states out there are more uptight than they are, say, in New York, in New York or New Jersey. Or, but he wrote this uh, uh, blog post in March about the state of Montana, believe it or not, and he called it out of control. It said, in answer to the question we posed yesterday on which state AMRA has the most complaints about access, interference with mining, road closures, uh, the U.S. Forest Service, and other issues, five of the 77 comments we received were correct. 
Montana is home by far to the most complaints of all the states in the union. Montana. Oregon is likely number two, but we don't, didn't we don't field anywhere near the number of complaints there, probably due to the fact that Kirby Jackson and Karen Darnell are up there and feel quite a few of the problems, so AMRA is not contacted as much. Idaho, Idaho and Colorado are right with Oregon, then Washington and Arizona. We'd like to tell you about some of these folks we are helping and working with, and please keep in mind these are brief summaries. To include all the specific details in their cases, it would be a Stephen King novel. One man, a military veteran, has several mining claims he's owned for decades, hard rock and load mines. Forest Service came in and told him he needed plans of operation for him to access the claim and to keep his powder magazine on the claim. That's a small building holding his blasting materials. Even though U.S. Forest Service is a surface management agency and he is underground, they said because he had the little shed above the ground that he needed a plan of operation. And he had to put up a huge bond and needed to immediately remove the shed even though he had a permit approved in hand from the ATF, I'll call it Tobacco and Firearms. This eventually resulted in a citation from U.S. Forest Service when it wasn't removed. His other storage building had to be removed, and now his road access is being blocked. His partner passed away waiting for approval from the U.S. Forest Service, and folks, it's been six years. He has been waiting for a simple 60-day approval process. We even have video and audio footage of these particular Forest Service officers saying, I don't care what you do, we'll never let you mine in this state. Another man is simply waiting to run a small bobcat or wanting to run a small bobcat on his claim on the side of a mountain to dig up a placer deposit. This is after years of obstruction by the U.S. Forest Service and even the U.S. Forest Service stating his claim is in a floodplain on the side of a mountain in a dry wash. When he demanded they give the scientific justification for the floodplain determination, they sent a map which looks like it was drawn with crayon and trotted out people within the agency acting as rangers and geologists when they have zero experience or no educational background in those fields. One man was a fuel tech who was acting as a geologist. They had delayed this man until we finally had conference calls with U.S. Forest Service, and the miner and his plan of operation was approved, only to have them come back after that and deny his access to use the road to the claim, even though he's approved to mine. You can't mine if you can't get there. Three days ago, we received a call from a lady in Montana who her family has owned a patented claim since 1952. Patented is purely private property and is not subject to the same scrutiny or oversight by the U.S. Forest Service. U.S. Forest Service is denying her access to her property on a road which was created in the late 1800s, falling under RS-2477. As most of you know by now, because we have written extensively on RS-2477, which states, lands in the public domain open to mineral entry are required to remain open. This is recently backed up by a Utah Supreme Court case, an unanimous ruling that any roads which were built prior to FLPMA, Federal Lands Policy Management Act of 1976, must remain open. 
not should, could, or may, but must remain open to the public. This case is backed up by several other federal laws regarding private property and even a Montana state law, which was passed in 2012, which requires owner access for any mining claim, patented or unpatented. While this isn't Montana, just last night we received yet another email from a person who has a five-acre mining claim in Colorado and are being told by U.S. Forest Service they cannot access this patented property using the 140-year-old road. U.S. Forest Service told them they need to purchase property from U.S. Forest Service, which is a small sliver in order to use their private property. Another man in Colorado just recently had someone top file making an illegal claim on top of one he already owns, and we validated his claim, file a plan of operations with the U.S. Forest Service to dredge his claim, and that approval process is underway. This opens up some legal issues of the U.S. Forest Service approving someone to mine someone else's claim. Obviously, this is one we are actively working on. Folks, this is why we are going to Washington, D.C. before the virus broke out. We could literally fill boxes of evidence, cases, and stories of out-of-control agencies like these here in the U.S. Forest Service. Bureau of Land Management is not much better. This is why we introduced the act we want Trump to pass. Modeled after the Veterans Accountability and Whistleblower Act, simply put, if people within the U.S. Forest Service, Bureau of Land Management, or any other agencies we hope to name in the act operate outside their authority or try to instill their political ideology and agenda instead of doing their job to foster and encourage mining, they're fired. For far too long, these people have operated without any fear of accountability, and that needs to change. Know that during this shutdown, we are very, very busy still trying to help those who have a, the boot of the government on their necks. And that's from the American Mining Rights Association and Shannon Poe. Good stuff. You said you couldn't find anything. There's not a lot. Like I said, most of it is about events. Now, if you go over and check out AMR, AMR's page, you need to find something even if it's a little outdated. Yeah, uh, I have to say, Shannon's usually right in the thick of it when it comes to my, uh, mining rights and out west and the U.S. Forest Service and the Bureau of Land Management. Uh, he's been fighting them for years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he's done a great job on video and exposing. Oh, yeah. Getting a lot of exposure videos out. Uh, hats off to him, as a matter of fact. And uh, I believe, uh, if I'm not mistaken, we have uh, Amber placard on the links page on the website, right? I don't know. But I'll double-check I believe check you that. did put one on there. Uh, or expeditions.com. It's there. It's been there for a long time. We've had that domain. And there's a lot there to look at. Make sure you click on all the different tabs at the top. And uh, Ms. Pollard updates it occasionally. Since we haven't been doing any expeditions lately, there's not a lot of new information there, but we're uh, we're keeping the home fires burning right now and a lot of things going on all at the same time here. I uh, want to talk a little bit tonight, even though this is the expedition show, um, let everybody know that we got a little bit of rain moving through and sunny days are on the way. Uh, I believe this weekend is going to be hot and sunny. And we're going to be doing 
two things when it comes to O&P's Finders Keepers. That's our store, our nearly new store. Um, we're going to be setting out um, a table and uh, using Big Bug or Big Nugget Buggy, which is the 38-foot <laughs> monster sitting out of beside the house. We're going to use him, that, that vehicle, as a showroom. Um, they'll get things arranged and everything, so when someone stops, they can look around at the stuff on the tables in the yard, but then we have the special stuff that we don't want to take a chance of any weather getting to, so on, you know, things like books and magazines and old LPs and so on. Those will all be under roof, and they'll either be in Big Bug out here by the side of the house, or we're going to do what's called a storage store, uh, a storage unit store. We have, uh, I got the unit with some of, the, some of our stuff in it, and there's enough room where I'll be able to arrange that and be able to make that so it can be a secure location that we can sell out of at the same time. So the fact that it's only half a mile up the road uh, makes it really sweet. We can be up there in just a matter of minutes if somebody decides they want to show up and check things out. So be sure and keep that in mind. And we'll get on here with uh, Oro Expeditions because <clears> – <throat> 13, I believe, then led to 2014. In 2014, the first part of it was experimental. Uh, we don't don't even talk much about it anymore. But <laughs> the second half of 2014 got very interesting. Why was that? Ooh. Well, um, I left my I left home. <laughs> I ran away from home, and. Uh, I had been driving bus and I uh, gave up my bus driving job, which uh, of all the jobs I've had, I really hated giving that one up. Yeah. And I, if I've said it once, I've said it every time we, I tell the story, I really hated giving that one up. <laughs> but uh, we went on the road together uh, with the dogs and the nugget buggy and a 12 one trip with a cat. And a, yeah, made a poor cat. She, <laughs> Oh, anyway. There was never an animal any more glad to get home than she was. And and we had never gotten a car again. And I actually have videos and pictures of her laying on my lap, and that's something a black Siamese does not usually do. Well, that one didn't. She was not social. She was not a lap cat, but she became one on the trip to Houston. Yeah, because it was hot. Oh, it was so hot, and she had long hair. And oh. she laid under the seat, the hottest place in the car. Yeah, that poor. I wondered she didn't die. I don't know how she made it with the Houston heat. And... But like I said, there was never a cat so happy to get home. <laughs> no. And uh, <clears throat> that was the first trip that we made with our new box trailer, little twelve by six box trailer. Uh, we did a lot of hauling motorcycles and uh, household-type goods that people needed hauled. I think about the strangest thing we hauled was those two fish. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just stuffed fish. Uh, just stuffed fish, fish. Um, we broke the sword off of. Marlin? Well, it's like the guy said, they were so old and crumbly that... Yeah, it, it was funny because I thought I really screwed up bad and thought I was going to you know, have to pay for pay some kind of claim or something. Oh my god, we had we spent like fifty bucks on packing material between yeah, bubble, bubble wrap, wrap and, and 
pads. We bought yeah. all new pads, wrapped them up, and suspended them on the side of the wall so they wouldn't bounce on the floor. And yeah, but like I said, that that one fish, I think he said he caught it. He when said he was it was a, like forty years old. Yeah. So, and the plaster that they make them whenever they make the stuffed fish for the wall, it's all plaster, and the plaster was dried up in the nose where it got real skinny on the sword, and it was, it was like a big deal. He was standing there, and I unwrapped it, and I'm like, yeah, okay, we're unwrapping, we're unwrapping, we're unwrapping. Uh, maybe we better not interrupt any farther. And he's like, he's he's on purpose messing with me, was acting like he was upset. Because I unwrapped it and the sword fell out by itself. Yeah, <laughs> and it was God. like, oh my God. Talk about wanting to find something to crawl in here. And I'm like, oh man, I'm so sorry. And just as soon as I said that, he held his hand up and he got a big grin on his face. He said, don't worry about it. It's probably, that fish is probably older than you are. <laughs> They were marlin. Is that what they were? Yeah, blue marlins. Swordfish. You're not allowed to keep them anymore. Are you? No, blue marlin, black marlin, blue marlins are protected. Um, they're uh, they're my favorite all-time favorite ocean fish to eat. I know that smoked marlin rocks. So anybody can happen to get some smoked marlin is doing something. But. Uh, yeah, that was, 14 was an exciting year because we were learning how to do the uh, moving people around. And then kind of like the same thing I did when I was driving truck in 13, we we would do that during the week. And then we would figure out a place where we could spend the weekend and use the trailer as a camp, as a camper. Uh, we had a big queen size air bed. And when you blow, when you blew it up, it was just exactly perfect fit six feet across fit perfect in the back of the trailer and then in the morning or whenever we wanted to eat Paula would we'd break out the table it was up front and we'd pile the other stuff that was in our other stuff we'd pile it out around usually on the outside of the trailer and cover it up and we had it was just like a little camper we had the table up front and the bed in the back and ate many a meal sitting on the edge of the bed while you table and did your thing cooking and yeah thank god for uh coleman propane stove (laughs) (laughs) oh my goodness i wish i had the money we spent in propane that year (laughs) had spending what in propane (laughs) oh in propane yeah yeah we we didn't have the little green bottles we used we ended up getting the big five pound four pound bottle and I guess we had we probably had to refill that what four or yeah. five times in three years, two years. Yeah, it was a twenty pounder. Yeah. yeah. And then, uh, so yeah, we had it set up, and then that came in real handy in fifteen because we spent the whole summer, all the way from middle of March, um, a little place called Happy Camp, California, and we ended up becoming members of another gold club out there called the New Forty Niners. Great people great management they pretty much run the whole town of happy camp it's the biggest business in town and dave mccracken is top-notch guy you'll never meet another guy that's nicer or friendlier or would take the shirt off his back to help you if you need me and uh became very good friends with him and all the staff at uh, the new 49er headquarters um we were there from march until the 
smoke ran us out from the wildfires that were going on down south there. Uh, that was what, August, September, August? First, first week of August. Yeah. Week of August. Uh, we've got pictures and videos where you couldn't even see. It was like fog, and it was fit so thick. It was, you could see driving down the road when we were driving out of town, leaving for the last day. It was like 200, 300 foot visibility is all it was. And the smoke was thick. Oh, yeah, and cough and, uh yeah, we tried to tough it out for about a week up in uh, Indian Creek, up above north of Happy Camp. And it was a lot cooler up there because instead of on the banks of the Klamath, but the smoke finally won out, and we had to pack it up and get out. So we did, and we ended up heading, headed south. And we had the idea that, okay, we want to stick it out with this whole gold mining thing, so what we want to do is we're going to see if we can find a job at one of these storage places. And that's funny how that led to what we do now without us even realizing. Yeah. We were trying to go to work for U-Haul or Public Storage or one of the big main companies because we wanted to get a job where we could live at the facility in the apartment they supply and manage the facility, the storage facility. And we put applications in, and we got this guy in Phoenix for U-Haul, and he gives us this big line of crap about how he was going to put us on as soon as we showed up and blah, blah, blah. And we get there, and we wait around for two days, and then, oh, well, we decided to give the job to somebody else. And this this lady's in-house, so we felt obligated to let her have it and so on and so forth. And that happened a couple of different times where we yeah, were led on would- by – management of a major company and then yeah but we hadn't traveled from northern california to phoenix arizona <laughs> what, what was yeah we get we drove we drove like a thousand miles we get to phoenix and this guy gave our job away that we were supposed to already have when we got there so turns out it worked out okay because now we got our own movie and storage company yeah <laughs> We move a lot of stuff, and we store a lot of stuff, so it's a moving storage company. Yeah, especially the storing part. (laughs) Yeah, we got the storing part down pat. Calm yourself down now. I was just a pile of dishes. It'll be alright. <laughs> Thank you, got mad and left. Good. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you was in the kitchen. You can tell by the sound. It's it's always a relief to see the backside of that boy. He means well. That's what everybody says. Yeah. Oh, census is almost forgot. I'm glad I did, didn't forget since we still have 11 minutes left. Um, the, the the gentleman that came up with the idea for Gold Prospectors Association of America is a guy by the name of George Massey. Yeah. Rest in peace. And George's sons run the whole, kept the whole thing going, and that's why it's still around today. But George was a very unique character. And I really wish I'd have got a chance to meet him. And I almost feel like I did. I did get to meet him. And this is something 
a little these little clips that we got from GPAA that we used on the World Expedition Show years ago, and I found a couple of them. So let's hear what George has to say. Overzealous people today, they want to stop mining. The small guy with his pick and shovel, he doesn't hurt anything. We can't afford to lose the recreation that is much fun as prospecting. you got to get out there and, and know what it is to be cold and wet and hungry in order to really enjoy what it is to be well fed. So hard work is good for you because it brings reason and balance to your life. If you want to get out there and work hard and do the right thing, you can make it in these United States. Because this is part of our heritage. And I want to leave that legacy for the kids coming behind us. You can find gold out there. You're not going to get rich at it. Sometimes you won't find any. But I tell you what you will find out here, you'll find freedom, folks. Ladies and gentlemen, it's so important to me that you consider the Gold Prospectors Association of America. I'm for the pick and shovel miner. You get representation, you know that your voice is being heard. I got some more truths to lay on you. Thomas Jefferson said it, when you allow a government to have control over an individual's property, then that government has control over his will. You're not exempt to this, folks. If you ever hope to own any property in this country, then you better jealously support the Fifth Amendment to the Constitution with old Buzzard and the rest of the gold miners. And boy, I'll tell you, they know how to lock you out of that public land. Let's save it for a kangaroo rat that interbreeds with the other rats. It's a subspecies. Heck, I'm a subspecies, folks. A little Irish, a little African. Little black, little Mexican, I don't know, 57 varieties, I'm an American. We've got some darn fine congressmen, but you got to figure out which ones they are. Me and you together, we're going to figure it out. And, and that was George Massey. to booger out and try somebody else anyway. That's right, George Massey, one of a kind, the founder of Gold Prospectors Association of America and Lost Dutchman Mining Association. If you have any inkling of wanting to get involved with recreational gold mining, those are two of the best places to check out, along with New 49ers. We will always have lots of good things to say about those organizations, along with AMRA that we were talking about earlier. Absolutely, and like I said, uh, as far as uh, miners' rights, uh, there's not a harder working person than Shannon Poe and the American Mining Rights Association. Unless it's Kirby Jackson over in Oregon. Yeah, that's, I'd say they would be two just about equal as far as yeah. watching out for miners and miners' rights. You know, because it all goes back to a little thing that was wrote all the way back in the 1870s, folks. The Mining Law of 1872 guarantees that a mining claim is a piece of property. It doesn't mean that you own the physical property the claim is on, but the claim itself is considered property because when you have a claim, a mineral claim over a piece of ground, it means that you own anything that comes out of that ground that's worth any money. So, you know, this whole thing of, well, patented claim and non-patented claim. Yes, it's true. A patented claim is one where you buy the property and then the claim, the gold and minerals and everything, you you have a claim on those, but you own the property. That's why it's called patented claim. An unpatented claim is like those we have in Arizona, 
where you just stake a claim and you own the mineral rights to that claim as long as you pay a yearly fee and you do yearly maintenance, uh, up what they call upgradable maintenance, uh, meaning throw some gravel down on the road, cut a ditch in, you know, cut some brush, whatever. It's it's just a matter of maintaining the claim and showing that there's human contact there. There's human uh, You're actually working the claim. Actions going on, right. So that little piece of uh, factual information carries a lot of weight. And that's why Shannon Poe and the rest at AMRA, along with everybody that is in this battle, there's quite a few other organizations involved. And they have the mining law of 1872 on their side. It's kind of like the Second Amendment or the amendments to the Constitution. You're not going to change that law because you don't like it or because you don't like gold miners or because you don't like people being in the water getting stuff out of the water. And see, this is something I wanted to explain real quick at the end. I saw a post the other day from a friend of mine that's a gold miner out west, and on his claim, he happened to hit a pocket. And this is this is a small stream. We're talking about a stream that's about, I don't know, 20, 30 feet wide at the widest point on his claim. And he had a pint jar. And in that pint jar was about an inch of mercury. Now, most gold miners don't pay much attention to that. But you figure that the rate that we found mercury when we were out west, an inch of mercury in a court, in a pint jar, you're talking about a couple of years worth of dredging. Yeah. Unless you happen to hit just the right spot. I mean, it's it's out there, but it's not very plentiful. They got this one inch in this pint jar in one four-hour dredging session. Holy buckets. Now imagine how poison that water is. Oh, yeah. Because usually, I mean, most of them had their, uh, shit, their screens set at half inch. Sorry. (laughs) No, I couldn't think of the it's word. Oh, good. I made a PG. <laughs> Their screen set at half inch, and anything under half inch, you know, went on back down in, into the rivers. But uh, when they were doing their cleanups to get every little speck of gold, they used mercury. Oh, yeah. Lots, I mean, you, can the learn, you, can on, drum. you can go on YouTube and see videos of them dumping 55 gallon metal drums that was wooden cast. But probably 45 gallon, but you can see videos on YouTube of them dumping 45 gallon barrels of liquid mercury into these quarter mile long sluice boxes or 300 foot sluice boxes that they had. And it was usually used on a hydro job, which is what was done on, uh, on the Klamath all those years. And we, we got to see what was left after that. So, yeah, you just give me the sign. I see it's about that time, and there's somebody sitting over here waiting patiently, so we better get her started before the show goes off. She doesn't like being cut off like that. (laughs) I got the button. Cool. And here's Miss Rosalie, and we'll be back on the air Saturday afternoon at 3 p.m. And this is KDCL Media. Open mic, open call, and fun for all. We'll see you then. Good night, everybody.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.